Chapter Seven, Part Three of the Idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Eva M. Martin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ali Makki. Chapter Seven. I had a small pocket pistol. I had procured it while still a boy at that droll age when the stories of duels and highwaymen begin to delight one and when one imagines oneself nobly standing fire at some future day in a duel there were a couple of old bullets in the bag which contained the pistol and powder enough in an old flask for two or three charges the pistol was a wretched thing very crooked and wouldn't carry farther than fifteen paces at the most however it would send your skull flying well enough if you pressed the nozzle of it against your temple i determined to die at pavlovsk at sunrise in the park so as to make no commotion in the house this explanation will make the matter clear enough to the police students of psychology and anyone else who likes may make what they please of it i should not like this paper however to be made public i request the prince to keep a copy himself and to give a copy to aglaya ivanovna epanchin this is my last will and testament as for my skeleton i bequeath it to the medical academy for the benefit of science i recognize no jurisdiction over myself and i know that i am now beyond the power of laws and judges a little while ago a very amusing idea struck me what if i were now to commit some terrible crime murder ten fellow-creatures for instance or anything else that is thought most shocking and dreadful in this world what a dilemma my judges would be in with a criminal who only has a fortnight to live in any case now that the rack and other forms of torture are abolished why i should die comfortably in their own hospital in a warm clean room with an attentive doctor probably much more comfortably than i should at home i do not understand why people in my position do not oftener indulge in such ideas if only for a joke perhaps they do who knows there are plenty of merry souls among us but though i do not recognize any jurisdiction over myself i still know that i shall be judged when i am nothing but a voiceless lump of clay therefore i do not wish to go before i have left a word of reply the reply of a free man not one forced to justify himself oh no i have no need to ask forgiveness of any one i have wished to say a word merely because i happen to desire it of my own free will here in the first place comes a strange thought who in the name of what law would think of disputing my full personal right over the fortnight of life left to me what jurisdiction can be brought to bear upon the case who would wish me not only to be sentenced but to endure the sentence to the end surely there exists no man who would wish such a thing and why should any one desire it for the sake of morality well i can understand that if i were to make an attempt upon my own life while in the enjoyment of full health and vigour my life which might have been useful etc etc morality might reproach me according to the old routine for disposing my own life without permission or whatever its tenet may be but now now when my sentence is out and my days are numbered how can morality have need for my last breaths and why should i die listening to the consolations offered by the prince who without doubt would not omit to demonstrate that death is actually a benefactor to me christians like him always end up with that <laughs> it is their pet theory and what do they want with their ridiculous pavlovsk trees to sweeten my last hours cannot they understand that the more i forget myself the more i let myself become attached to these last illusions of life and love by means of which they try to hide from me 
myers wall and all that is so plainly written on it the more unhappy they make me what is the use of all your nature to me all your parks and trees your sunsets and sunrises your blue skies and your self-satisfied faces when all this wealth of beauty and happiness begins with the fact that it accounts me only me one too many what is the good of all this beauty and glory to me when every second every moment i cannot but be aware that this little fly which buzzes round my head in the sun's rays even this little fly is a sharer and participator in all the glory of the universe and knows its place and is happy in it while i only i am an outcast and have been blind to the fact hitherto thanks to my simplicity oh i know well how the prince and others would like me instead of indulging in all these wicked words of my own to sing to the glory and triumph of morality that well-known verse of gilbert's oh puissant voix longtemps votre tout sacré tant d'amis sourds à mes adieux qui me rend plein de jeux qui leur morte soit plérie qu'un ami leur femme l'ayeux but believe me believe me my simple-hearted friends that in this highly moral verse in this academical blessing to the world in general in the french language is hidden the intensest gall and bitterness but so well concealed is the venom that i dare say the poet actually persuaded himself that his words were full of the tears of pardon and peace instead of the bitterness of disappointment and malice and so died in the delusion do you know there is a limit of ignominy beyond which man's consciousness of shame cannot go after which begins satisfaction in shame well of course humility is a great force in that sense i admit that though not in the sense in which religion accounts humility to be a strength religion i admit eternal life and perhaps i always did admit it admit it that consciousness is called into existence by the will of a higher power admit it that this consciousness looks out upon the world and says i am and admit it that the higher power wills that the consciousness so called into existence be suddenly extinguished for some explained reason it is and must be still there comes the eternal question why must i be humble through this is it not enough that i am devoured without my being expected to bless the power that devours me surely surely i need not suppose that somebody there will be offended because i do not wish to live out the fortnight allowed me i don't believe it it is much simpler and far more likely to believe that my death is needed the death of an insignificant atom in order to fulfil the general harmony of the universe in order to make even some plus or minus in the sum of existence just as every day the death of numbers of beings is necessary because without their annihilation the rest cannot live on although we must admit that the idea is not a particularly grand one in itself however i admit the fact admit that without such perpetual devouring of one another the world cannot continue to exist or could have never been organized i am ready to confess that i cannot understand why this is so but i tell you what i do know for certain if i have once been given to understand and realize that i am what does it matter to me that the world is organized on a system full of errors and that otherwise it cannot be organized at all who will or can judge me after this say what you like the thing is impossible and unjust and meanwhile i have never been able in spite of my great desire to do so to persuade myself that there is no future existence and no providence the fact of the matter is that all this does exist but that we know absolutely nothing about the future life and its laws 
but it is so difficult and even impossible to understand that surely i am not to be blamed because i could not fathom the incomprehensible of course i know they say that one must be obedient and of course too the prince is one of those who say so that one must be obedient without questions out of pure goodness of heart and that for my worthy conduct in this matter i shall meet with a reward in another world we degrade god when we attribute our own ideas to him out of annoyance that we cannot fathom his ways again i repeat i cannot be blamed because i am unable to understand that which is not given to mankind to fathom why am i to be judged because i could not comprehend the will and laws of providence no we had better drop religion enough of this by the time i have got so far in the reading of my document the sun will be up and the huge force of his rays will be acting upon the living world so be it i shall die gazing straight at the great fountain of life and power i do not want this life if i had had the power to prevent my own birth i should certainly never have consented to accept existence under such ridiculous conditions however i have the power to end my existence although i do but give back days that are already numbered it is an insignificant gift and my revolt is equally insignificant final explanation i die not in the least because i am unable to support these next three weeks so no i should find strength enough and if i wished it i could obtain consolation from the thought of the injury that is done me but i am not a french poet and i do not desire such consolation and finally nature has limited my capacity for work or activity of any kind in allotting me but three weeks of time that suicide is the only thing that i can begin and end in the time of my own free will perhaps then i am anxious to take advantage of my last chance of doing something for myself a protest is sometimes no small thing the explanation was finished hippolyte paused at last there is in extreme cases a final stage of cynical candour when a nervous man excited and beside himself with emotion will be afraid of nothing and ready for any sort of scandal nay glad of it the extraordinary almost unnatural tension of the nerves which upheld hippolyte up to this point has now arrived at this final stage this poor feeble boy of eighteen exhausted by disease looked for all the world as weak and frail as a leaflet torn from its parent tree and trembling in the breeze but no sooner had his eyes swept over his audience for the first time during the whole of the last hour than the most contemptuous the most haughty expression of repugnance lighted up his face he defied them all as it were but his hearers were indignant too they rose to their feet with annoyance fatigue the wine consumed the strain of listening so long all added to the disagreeable impression which the reading had made upon them suddenly hippolyte jumped up as though he had been shot the sun is rising he cried seeing the gilded tops of the trees and pointing to them as to a miracle see it is rising now well what then did you suppose it wasn't going to rise asked ferdishenko it's going to be atrociously hot again all day said gania with an air of annoyance taking his hat a month of this are you coming home titsin hippolyte listened to this in amazement almost amounting to stupefaction suddenly he became doubly pale and shuddered you manage your composure too awkwardly i see you wish to insult me he cried to gania you you're a cur he looked at gania with an expression of malice what on earth is the matter with you boy what phenomenal feeble-mindedness exclaimed ferdishenko oh he's simply a fool said gania 
Hippolyte braced himself up a little. "'I understand, gentlemen,' he began, trembling as before and stumbling over every word, "'that I have deserved your resentment, and—and I am sorry that I should have troubled you with this raving nonsense.' pointing to the article or rather i am sorry that i have not troubled you enough he smiled feebly have i troubled you evgeny pavlovitch he suddenly turned on evgeny with this question tell me now have i troubled you or not well it was a little drawn out perhaps but come speak out don't lie for once in your life speak out continued hippolyte quivering with agitation oh my good sir i assure you it's entirely the same to me please leave me in peace said evgeny angrily turning his back on him good-night prince said titsin approaching his host what are you thinking of don't go he'll blow his brains out in a minute cried vera lebedeff rushing up to hippolyte and catching hold of his hands in a torment of alarm what are you thinking of he said he would blow his brains out at sunrise oh he won't shoot himself cried several voices sarcastically "'Gentlemen, you better look out,' cried Kolya, also seizing Hippolyte by the hand. "'Just look at him, prince. What are you thinking of?' Vera and Kolya and Keller and Burdovsky were all crowding round Hippolyte now and holding him down. "'He has the right, the right,' murmured Burdovsky. "'Excuse me, prince, but what are your arrangements?' asked Lebedev tipsy and exasperated, going up to Mishkin. "'What do you mean by arrangements?' no no excuse me i am master of this house though i do not wish to lack respect towards you you are master of the house too in a way but i can't allow this sort of thing he won't shoot himself the boy is only playing the fool said general evolgin suddenly and unexpectedly with indignation i know he won't i know he won't general but i'm i'm master here listen mr terentieff said titsin who had bidden the prince good-night and was now holding out his hand to hippolyte i think you remark in that manuscript of yours that you bequeath your skeleton to the academy are you referring to your own skeleton i mean your very bones yes my bones i-quite so i see because you know little mistakes have occurred now and then there was a case why do you tease him cried the prince suddenly you've moved him to tears added ferdishenko but hippolyte was by no means weeping he was about to move from his place when his four guards rushed at him and seized him once more there was a laugh at this he led up to this on purpose he took the trouble of writing all that so that people should come and grab him by the arm observed prokhoshin good-night prince what a time we've sat here my very bones ache if you really intended to shoot yourself terentiev said evgeny pavlovitch laughing if i were you after all these compliments i should just not shoot myself in order to vex them all they're very anxious to see me blow my brains out said hippolyte bitterly yes they'll be awfully annoyed if they don't see it then you think they won't see it i am not trying to egg you on on the contrary i think it's very likely that you may shoot yourself but the principal thing is to keep cool said evgeny with a drawl and with great condescension i only now perceive what a terrible mistake i made in reading this article to them said hippolyte suddenly addressing evgeny and looking at him with an expression of trust and confidence as though he were applying to a friend for counsel yes it's a droll situation i really don't know what advice to give you replied evgeny laughing hippolyte gazed steadfastly at him but said nothing to look at him one might have supposed that he was unconscious at intervals excuse me 
said lebedeff but did you observe the young gentleman's style i'll go and blow my brains out in the park says he so as not to disturb any he thinks he won't disturb anybody if he goes three yards away into the park and blows his brains out there gentlemen began the prince no no excuse me most revered prince lebedeff interrupted excitedly since you must have observed yourself that this is no joke and since at least half of your guests must also have concluded that after all that has been said this youth must blow his brains out for honour's sake i as master of this house and before these witnesses now call upon you to take steps yes but what am i to do lebedeff what steps am i to take i am ready i'll tell you in the first place he must immediately deliver up the pistol which he boasted of with all its appurtenances if he does this i shall consent to his being allowed to spend the night in this house considering his feeble state of health and of course conditionally upon his being under proper supervision but to-morrow he must go elsewhere excuse me prince should he refuse to deliver up his weapon then i shall instantly seize one of his arms and general evolge the other and we shall hold him until the police arrive and take the matter into their own hands mr will kindly fetch them at this there was a dreadful noise lebedeff danced about in his excitement ferdishenko prepared to go for the police gania frantically insisted that it was all nonsense for nobody was going to shoot themselves evgeny pavlovitch said nothing prince whispered hippolyte suddenly his eyes all ablaze you don't suppose that i did not foresee all this hatred he looked at the prince as though he expected him to reply for a moment enough he added at length and addressing the whole company he cried it's all my fault gentlemen lebedeff here is the key he took out a small bunch of keys this one the last but one kolya will show you kolya where's kolya he cried looking straight at kolya and not seeing him yes he'll show you he packed the bag with me this morning take him up kolya my bag is upstairs in the prince's study under the table here's the key and in the little case you'll find my pistol and the powder and all kolya packed it himself mr lebedeff he'll show you but it's on condition that to-morrow morning when i leave for petersburg you will give me back my pistol do you hear i do this for the prince's sake not yours capital that's much better cried lebedeff seizing the key he made off in haste kolya stopped a moment as though he wished to say something but lebedeff dragged him away hippolyte looked around at the laughing guests the prince observed that his teeth were chattering as though in a violent attack of egg what brutes they are he whispered to the prince whenever he addressed him he lowered his voice let him alone you're too weak now yes directly i'll go away directly i suddenly he embraced mushkin perhaps you think i'm mad eh he asked him laughing very strangely no but you directly directly stand still a moment i wish to look in your eyes don't speak stand so let me look at you i am bidding farewell to mankind he stood so for ten seconds gazing at the prince motionless deadly pale his temples wet with perspiration he held the prince's hand in a strange grip as though afraid to let him go hippolyte hippolyte what's the matter with you cried mushkin directly there that's enough i'll lay down direct i must drink to the sun's health i wish to i insist upon it let go he seized the glass from the table broke away from the prince and in a moment had reached the terrace steps the prince made after him but it so happened that at this moment evgeny pavlovitch stretched out his hand to say good-night the next instant there was a general outcry and then followed a few moments of indescribable excitement reaching the steps hippolyte had paused 
holding the glass in his left hand while he put his right hand in his coat-pocket keller insisted afterwards that he had held his right hand in his pocket all the while when he was speaking to the prince and that he held the latter's shoulder with his left hand only this circumstance keller affirmed had led him to feel some suspicion from the first however this may be keller ran after hippolyte but he was too late he caught sight of something flashing in hippolyte's right hand and saw that it was a pistol he rushed at him but at that very instant hippolyte raised the pistol to his temple and pulled the trigger there followed a sharp metallic click but no report when keller seized the would-be suicide the latter fell forward into his arms probably actually believing that he was shot keller had hold of the pistol now hippolyte was immediately placed in a chair while the whole company thronged around excitedly talking and asking each other questions every one of them had heard the snap of the trigger and yet they saw a live and apparently unharmed man before them hippolyte himself sat quite unconscious of what was going on and gazed around with a senseless expression lebedeff and kolya came rushing up at this moment what is it someone asked breathlessly a misfire perhaps it wasn't loaded said several voices it's loaded all right said keller examining the pistol but what did it misfire there was no cap in it keller announced it would be difficult to describe the pitiable scene that now followed the first sensation of alarm soon gave place to amusement some burst out laughing loud and heartily and seemed to find a malicious satisfaction in the joke poor hippolyte sobbed hysterically he wrung his hands he approached every one in turn even ferdishenko and took them by both hands and swore solemnly that he had forgotten absolutely forgotten accidentally and not on purpose to put a cap in and that he had ten of them at least in his pocket he pulled them out and showed them to every one he protested that he had not liked to put one in beforehand for fear of an accidental explosion in his pocket that he had thought he would have lots of time to put it in afterwards when required and that in the heat of the moment he had forgotten all about it he threw himself upon the prince then on evgeny pavlovitch he entreated keller to give him back the pistol and he'd soon show them all that his honour his honour but he was dishonoured now for ever he fell senseless at last and was carried into the prince's study lebedeff now quite sobered down sent for a doctor and he and his daughter with burdovsky and general ivolgin remained by the sick man's couch when he was carried away unconscious keller stood in the middle of the room and made the following declaration to the company in general in a loud tone of voice with emphasis upon each word gentlemen if any of you cast any doubt again before me upon hippolyte's good faith or hints that the cap was forgotten intentionally or suggests that this unhappy boy is acting a part before us i beg to announce that the person so speaking shall account to me for his words no one replied the company departed very quickly in a mass Titsin, Ganya, and Rogozhin went away together. The prince was much astonished that Evgeny Pavlovitch changed his mind and took his departure without the conversation he had requested. "'Why, you wish to have a talk with me when the others left?' he said. "'Quite so,' said Evgeny, sitting down suddenly beside him. "'But I've changed my mind for the time being. I confess I am too disturbed. And so I think are you. And the matter as to which I wish to consult you is too serious to tackle, with one's mind even a little disturbed, too serious for both myself and for you. You say, Prince, for once in my life I wish to perform an absolutely honest action, that is, an action with no ulterior motive. 
and i think i am hardly in a condition to talk of it just at this moment and and well we'll discuss it another time perhaps the matter may gain in clearness if we wait for two or three days just the two or three days which i must spend in petersburg here he rose again from his chair so that it seemed strange that he should have thought it worth while to sit down at all the prince thought too that he looked vexed and annoyed and not nearly so friendly towards himself as he had been earlier in the night i suppose you'll go to the sufferer's bedside now he added yes i'm afraid began the prince oh you needn't fear he'll live another six weeks all right very likely he will recover altogether but i strongly advise you to pack him off to-morrow i think i may have offended him by saying nothing just now i am afraid he may suspect that i doubted his good faith about shooting himself you know what do you think evgeny pavlovitch not a bit of it you are much too good for him you shouldn't care a hang about what he thinks i have heard such things before but never came across till to-night a man who would actually shoot himself in order to gain a vulgar notoriety or blow his brains for spite if he finds that people don't care to pat him on the back for his sanguinary intentions but what astonishes me more than anything is the fellow's candid confession of weakness you'd better get rid of him to-morrow in any case do you think he'll make another attempt oh no not he not now but you have to be very careful with this sort of gentleman crime is too often the last resource of these petty non-entities this young fellow is quite capable of cutting the throats of ten people simply for a lark as he told us in his explanation i assure you those confounded words of his will will not let me sleep i think you disturb yourself too much what an extraordinary person you are prince do you mean to say that you doubt the fact that he is capable of murdering ten men i daren't say one way or the other all this is very strange but well as you like just as you like said evgeny pavlovitch irritably only you are such a plucky fellow take care you don't get included among the ten victims oh he's much more likely not to kill anyone at all said the prince gazing thoughtfully at evgeny the latter laughed disagreeably well au revoir did you observe that he willed a copy of his confession to aglaya ivanovna yes i did i'm thinking of it in connection with the ten eh laughed evgeny as he left the room an hour later towards four o'clock the prince went into the park he had endeavoured to fall asleep but could not owing to the painful beating of his heart he had left things quiet and peaceful the invalid was fast asleep and the doctor who had been called in had stated that there was no special danger lebedev kolya and burdovsky were lying down in the sick-room ready to take it in turns to watch there was nothing to fear therefore at home but the prince's mental perturbation increased every moment he wandered about the park looking absently around him and paused in astonishment when he suddenly found himself in the empty space with the rows of chairs round it near the vauxhall the look of the place struck him as dreadful now so he turned round and went by the path which he had followed with the apanchines on the way to the band until he reached the green bench which aglaya had pointed out for their rendezvous he sat down on it and suddenly burst into a loud fit of laughter immediately followed by a feeling of irritation his disturbance of mind continued he felt that he must go away somewhere anywhere above his head some little bird sang out of a sudden he began to peer about for it among the leaves suddenly the bird darted out of the tree and away and instantly he thought of the fly buzzing about in the sun's rays that hippolyte had talked of how that it knew its place and 
was a participator in the universal life while he alone was an outcast this picture had impressed him at the time and he meditated upon it now an old and forgotten memory awoke in his brain and suddenly burst into clearness and light it was a recollection of switzerland during the first year of his cure the very first months at that time he had been pretty nearly an idiot still he could not speak properly and had difficulty in understanding when others spoke to him he climbed the mountain-side one sunny morning and wandered long and aimlessly with a certain thought in his brain which would not become clear above him was the blazing sky below the lake all around was the horizon clear and infinite he looked out upon this long and anxiously he remembered how he had stretched out his arms towards the beautiful boundless blue of the horizon and wept and wept what had so tormented him was the idea that he was a stranger to all this that he was outside this glorious festival what was this universe what was this grand eternal pageant to which he had yearned from his childhood up and in which he could never take part every morning the same magnificent sun every morning the same rainbow in the waterfall every evening the same glow on the snow mountains every little fly that buzzed in the sun's rays was the singer in the universal chorus knew its place and was happy in it every blade of grass grew and was happy everything knew its path and loved it went forth with a song and returned with a song only he knew nothing understood nothing neither men nor words nor any of nature's voices he was a stranger and an outcast oh he could not speak then these words or express all he felt he had been tormented dumbly but now it appeared to him that he must have said these very words even then and that hippolyte must have taken his picture of the little fly from his tears and words of that time he was sure of it and his heart beat excitedly at the thought he knew not why he fell asleep on the bench but his mental disquiet continued through his slumbers just before he dozed off the idea of hippolyte murdering ten men flitted through his brain and he smiled at the absurdity of such a thought around him all was quiet only the flutter and whisper of the leaves broke the silence but broke it only to cause it to appear yet more deep and still he dreamed many dreams as he sat there and all were full of disquiet so that he shuddered every moment at length a woman seemed to approach him he knew her oh he knew her only too well he could always name her and recognize her anywhere but strange she seemed to have quite a different face from hers as he had known it and he felt a tormenting desire to be able to say she was not the same woman in the face before him there was such dreadful remorse and horror that he thought she must be a criminal that she must have just committed some awful crime tears were trembling on her white cheek she beckoned him but placed her finger on her lip as though to warn him that he must follow her very quietly his heart froze within him he wouldn't he couldn't confess her to be a criminal and yet he felt that something dreadful would happen the next moment something which would blast his whole life she seemed to show him something not far off in the park he rose from his seat in order to follow her when a bright clear peal of laughter rang out by his side he felt somebody's hand suddenly on his own seized it pressed it hard and awoke before him aglaya stood laughing aloud End of chapter 7, part 3